everybody. It's Wayne with Mark and Areed, and we are so excited that you've come to watch the Eat Community Podcast. We know you're going to enjoy it. We actually did it live originally on our Eat Community webinar series, which we also invite you to come to, but you will love this podcast that you're going to be listening to right now. Uh, hey, Sierra, and hey, team. Uh, yeah, so I'm down in Southland, New Zealand, right down the bottom of the country, and uh, I'm a third-generation sheep farmer uh, on a farm called the Montana Flat. And, yeah, we've got a 1,000 acres or 400 hectares, uh, and we run about 4,000 sheep on that. So, so yeah, each year producing uh, over 6,000 lambs. And, yeah, that's that's plenty enough to uh, keep us busy within the, the sheep farming enterprise. But, yeah, for the last uh, three, four years, uh, after I got back from a bit of an overseas um, experience, I've just been dabbling in a whole range of, uh a tan tangential yeah uh, yeah just experiments sort of with agritourism and permaculture and yeah so we're just just trying to explore diversity on the property to the full extent of the word and yeah what's what the focus is at any one time uh changes a lot currently i've been working on an event called future fennel summit which which uh, starts in two days' time. It's the inaugural one. And, yeah, that's sort of like a three-day educational event. And uh, people sort of across the rail sector in New Zealand are coming to speak about, uh, yeah, their, their place in the sector and their view on the future of our whenua, which is uh, Māori for land. And, yeah, yeah, as we're seeing on the website in the background, there's there's a bunch of the different initiatives. The the Montana Flat website is actually set up as a cadetship, a, a rural training program. Um, it hasn't hasn't gone too far the cadetship yet, but it sort of it was a way of getting all the stuff we're up to in one place to begin with. On the on the right now is burning horse and uh, yeah, well polyculture paddocks are another one. We should have a bunch of photos coming up later, and I'd like to explain what I've been doing there. Um, just a trial with with uh, large scale using using just a normal seed drill in the way that we're planting uh, multi species crops, winter crops for the sheep, and yeah, just replacing some of those species Swedes, kale, faber beans, and replacing them with with. Uh, mescaline and carrots and, and and nasturtiums and and seeing what's been coming up so yeah polyculture paddocks been our sort of vegetable or horticultural permacultural trial and then yeah just other stuff yeah on, on their entertainment we've got we've got two frisbee golf courses on the farm one by the river one on the plantation so uh yeah experimenting a lot with the production a lot with bringing people in and then yeah we we like to have a good time so, so yeah. that's awesome is i see wayne popped on hey wayne <laughs> hey how you doing wayne oh we're not hearing you i think you might be muted i was muted i i unmuted i apologize for being late this has been i've been telling everybody this is going to be my most favorite webinar for months because i love my conversation <laughs> with deb and also um, our back 
back and forth email with Joel Salatin a little bit. And then just as I came on, he's talking about Frisbee golf. I love Frisbee golf. So it's, uh, it's really, I have a course at my place also. Oh, brilliant. As if I didn't need another reason to come and visit you when I make it back to the States, man. Yep. You are. Yeah. I, uh, so I also have, this is last little thing by about me and you might think about it because you've got the space for it. I have a pasture golf course. So it's, really the way that regular golf started. So I I did bring some artificial grass in to have as tee boxes, but you wouldn't need that. You could literally use these little pads you can get just to hit golf balls off of. And then I have um, PVC pipe with some rebar in the ground and, and it's there, those are the flag sticks. And, and so you hit the ball, um, within 10 yards of the flag stick, sort of in a circle that's around it. And I don't mark them. It's sort of, you just guess. And that's that's in the hole, so you don't putt. But it's actually a full length golf course. I have 7,000 yards that you could play as a distance, which is the same distance the pros play. And the equivalent of a hole in one on our our course, and it's only happened once, is you play with the same ball the whole the whole round you haven't lost it <laughs> so if you lose right. your ball you you replace it and you you, you know that uh, so that's that's the cool thing so you you could there used to be a website called pasturegolf.com it doesn't exist anymore i i went to it and they've it's now it's redirected to some other site but anyway something for you to think about is if you need more in your life is uh to have a pasture golf course. <laughs> pasture golf, load me up. I'm into it. Nice. Yeah. So cool. Well, Sierra, I uh, I'm gonna let you keep. Uh, Sierra's my um, amazing um, environmental assistant and, and associate, and I I knew I might be a little late, so I asked her to make sure to be able to be on here. Oh man, does that food look great there in the middle? <laughs> um, and I wanted her to get to know you anyway, but over time, did, by the way, did you and Joel communicate any more separately from the emails that, that I was copied on? And if, if not, I can- uh, No, no, nothing nothing further than that. Yeah, like, well, I, I, like I, I just sort I'll, of introduced him. I'll push him a little bit more and we'll make sure that we get additional communication because he was kind of excited about what you're doing. So, and he's a really oh. good guy and he's not that hard to get to know, so. So Sierra, you continue on your questioning and let me get my uh, my feet on the ground in terms of my thoughts here, and then I'll I'll jump in and ask uh, Zeb some questions also. Yeah, sounds good. So um, the first thing that really comes to mind is why sheep? Is this something that you've been involved in since you were a child, or is it just something that you jumped into and really got interested? I mean, how did it all start? Yeah. Uh, so so the sheep farming. My grandfather bought this property maybe 50, 60 years ago, and it's it's been a sheep farm ever since then. So, yeah, that's that's not a decision of mine. It's sort of like just the way of a uh, way of it down here in New Zealand. Uh, it used to be it used to be all all sheep farms in our area, and then 10, 20 years ago, they sort of uh, there were a lot of dairy conversions, and in the last five or so years, uh, in, the only the only conversions going on is is converting to grain farming, 
uh, seems we've got a we've got a really good climate for um, arable farming here uh, actually. So so down our road, there's probably just two two or three farms holding on to the to the family sheep farm, and yeah, we just love it. I I wouldn't want to um, swap to it to a dairy or or a grain farming model. It's I enjoy the sheep farming. There's a lot of diversity in our day and we know how to do it and we're pretty highly productive here so yeah that's why so i follow up with oh go ahead Wayne. just to follow up to that uh, and i knew the the history there but i don't know the question i'm going to ask um how have you changed in terms of your operations from what your grandfather or your father did what what are, what are the what are the primary changes and if any that you've done? Mm. So so when Pop bought this place, there were about six trees on the entire property, and uh, yeah, now there's tree lanes down there, thousands of trees. So 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 that was sort of him and Dad, and they also replaced the whole fences. Everything's got a central lane system, and so so. From from purchase to sort of dad's era was just really about efficiency and and replacing all the grasses, getting things cranking. Um, and my last three or four years since since being here is just yeah, it's about exploring this diversity in our system, uh, different enterprises. Uh, that's why I was so keen to talk to Joel because he's um, such a patron of the you know stacking enterprises or and that line of thinking and and i'm really believe in that as a as the way that we should sort of maybe not everyone but definitely farms like ours uh well and surely we could so for me it's about bringing in other models having the having the events having some experiment with with a bit more self-sufficiency and yeah and our actual seed farming enterprise we've been uh, on the regenerative agriculture train for the last couple of years and yeah always we've done monoculture swedes has been our winter crops the grass doesn't grow much here in winter so we have to supplementary feed them with baleage and you yeah, will do about 30 or 40 hectares of winter crop each year as well so that's always been um, just a monoculture of swedes or sometimes kale and and uh, the last yeah, this year we're 100 percent of uh winter crops is direct drilled multi-species crops so that's one of the big changes and and uh, you know again i know that that joel's gonna have a great time over over time talking with you about how he has stacked enterprises i i don't know if we had a chance to talk about it but i i don't know if you find a more um firm believer strong believer that the only way we can make sort of the non-industrial farm a big part of our food future is and to get regenerative restorative all those sort of green words farming back to be more in the norm is to convince those farmers that are involved that they have to look at a variety of different ways that they make income on their property. And, and I call my place, I don't remember whether I told you this when, I, when we talked, um, Zeb, but I call my place an ecological business park. 
because that seems to relate more to the common person around that's not a farmer because they, they they understand a business park that's oh yeah there's lots of different businesses there those businesses find a way to work together and and you know you might have a a, a, a hub business let's say it's a a business that makes oh uh, golf carts or makes four-wheel buggies well then you're going to need businesses that make a lot of the parts that would be there for those so they all the, the, the smaller businesses come in to support the the primary one so in my case the primary business is has been for 10 plus years now alpacas that's changing and our primary business is becoming aquaculture and aquaculture in the past was a secondary business it's becoming primary but I think I told you, I never have less than 10 different income deriving businesses at my location. And I have a much, much smaller piece of land than you do. And I can have as many as 30 at any given point. And the, I won't consider them unless they're compatible with each other. Um, that leads me to a question, which is you were struggling getting that right person. I know you failed on the first one to come in and be, uh, to be an intern with you. How has, have you had, uh, have you tried a second person yet? Uh, no, I haven't tried a second person yet. Had a, a young Scottish fellow, James Cook, he's, uh, he's been here all summer. So um, in, in terms of just like having the help, uh, yeah, have, have, have had that, but in terms of getting someone to long-term join the team, uh, still, still in that search. And yeah, I love your, I love your idea about the ecological business park. That's, I hope you don't mind if I use that in the future. That's no, that's I, I don't mind at all. Yeah. And, um, and it's actually in terms of getting that person to join. So yeah, through what we're looking at down the bottom is the cadetship, and that would always be a transient role. Someone's just coming to upskill themselves and learn, you know, and and, and, and move on and, and make their impact elsewhere. But yeah, we are looking for someone and I've sort of narrowed it down to who the first role is, is going to be the an ecosystems manager. So so is do we get a full-time permaculturist or do we need to get someone to worry about the agroforestry um, initiatives or, or something? I know, I know that's where we need the help the most, but yeah, rounding that out, and it's a it's a ecosystems manager that I think will be the the role there. And I'll tell you what, I've always wished that I would do better than I have done, and I'm it's really what I want to make a a really big effort to do moving forward is to um, make sure, and I'm an older guy than you, Zeb, but to make sure that I have. Um, a leader that can take over for me at any time and and that would have a diversity of skills, the same sort of passion for the venture, you know, the ecological business part, wouldn't have to necessarily have the, the primary skills that I have, which in, in the case of, of our farm, it's, it's aquaculture. I mean, I've been the aquaculture guy. And interestingly, I haven't even tried to find a second there because I still enjoy doing it so much just like you probably maybe don't even think about finding a second for yourself with 
with your sheep enterprises because again your your grandfather did well, it burn, you've done, burn, your dad burn did there it. on the Baron's on the screen right now. He's 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 not actually the second. He's the one. I'm, uh, I, I I work underneath Baron's on the on the wow. sheep side of things. So you already have that. That's already in place. Well, I don't, that, yeah. and and I need to have that. And honestly, I believe Joel would tell you that he does have it too with Daniel, his son. That that Joel could just go on the speaking circuit if he wanted to, or writing books, or or you know being the, the amazing teacher and, and person that he is but that daniel his son is that person that's the second i i don't have that yet and so i i really need that and then secondly we're changing and if you were now to look at a website that we're still under development with but for our ranch which is called mountain sky ranch we've actually changed the name of it to mountain sky mountain sky community that we want the public to understand because we're gonna add on top of the business park side, a living center for a very small and select group of people. In our case, we could have two other families or, um, or sing individuals or couples live with us, but the goal is not that they would live there full time, but rather it would be a place that they could come anytime when times are good and play or even learn, interact with all those 10 to 30 other businesses that are there. And they would have lifetime rights for that. So they wouldn't own the land. I'd continue to own the land, but they would have use rights for, for that longer period of time. And then Again, I'm not reluctant to say this, but I never like saying it. If times ever weren't so good, if we had a natural disaster, if we had an apocalypse, we had something that made times not so great, you know, maybe even as bad as the SHTF type of circumstance, then that would be their refuge. And those 10 or so, and that's in our case, that's the, the kind of the magic number, just because of the amount of land and, and it's, it's that we have, then there could be, that could be the place those people would come. I'm gonna look locally for those people, right in the Denver area, so not more than an hour away, so they can be there. And I've had four or five people approach me to talk about it, so I'm not really worried. Just, I'm putting some seeds in your head a little bit, Sad, because I think that, you know that's something that you could look at even long term and maybe you already are but uh but again just really cool so sierra i'm going to turn it back over to you so what do you have a comment or thought on that first and then sierra you go into some questions for some more oh i just yeah i'll i'll, I'll send you a, a proposal that i typed up about this time last year and it's very in line with that year sort of this time share model where people can come and then it's a plan b as well and yeah, for, for me i wasn't taking a local family but perhaps actually looking for uh you know a, a wealthy individual from san francisco or london or something right. and the south of new zealand is a place to be uh there's there's a lot of these sort of posts a lot apocalyptic uh narrative that you know escape and get to new zealand and I'll tell you, being in New Zealand, down in Southland is is the spot. We've got uh, 
for medic safety we're very underpopulated here and and yeah we're we're, we're high producers so yeah i've i've thought i've thought that line uh deeply so pretty awesome to hear you say that and suggest it yeah well yeah, we have so many things that we could we could be working on in common and we we started that process and i was really excited to use this to be a sort of a kickoff to take it further by the way audience i'm sure sierra told you this but please ask questions and make comments anytime you have them. Turn it back to you, Sierra, because I want you to be able to ask Zeb some questions. Yeah, something that I um, thought of with, out of all the people that you make connections with doing this and all the people that come to you to kind of get guidance and learn about what you're doing, how many of those are people who are in a similar situation like you that have been doing um, sheep and agriculture for generations versus the amount of people that are just beginners and starting out and wanting to get into it mm. yeah I, I probably don't have that much of a outreach with of yeah with people in in my situation it's yeah i live in the middle of nowhere in south and sometimes you can uh, home it up and just focus on what i'm doing but uh yeah the the summit i was talking about this weekend that will be a chance definitely to to reach that out and it'll be interesting amongst the crowd to see who yeah, there we go on the screen. Yeah, to to see who from that audience would uh, fit in the, to those different camps. Is that a live event or is this a virtual event? Uh, live event, yeah. So we we had a we, I don't know. In in New Zealand, we haven't really had had the COVID issues quite the same. We've got zero cases currently. Uh, so so we don't we've got border restrictions, but in terms of yeah, I went to an event with 25,000 people a couple of weeks ago. It was yeah, we've got it, we've got it pretty uh, cruisy here. Um, it's it's going to be a small live event. Aspects of all that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So so live events are all go with us still, but it is just going to be a small crowd. Um, maybe maybe 70, 70 people or something. I'm sort of expecting, and yeah, it's all going to be recorded as well, so we can start a bit of a brand. Uh, the future Fenua summits will be the annual event um, that will be held, yeah, sort of on on the farm down at the Browning Horse Grounds, and uh, and then yeah, future Fenua as a brand will sort of more be about this. What what Wayne, what you're doing with just spreading information about uh, ecological and economic practice, um, a bit of a way of rooting that in New Zealand culture, because as 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 Joel stated in our back and forths. We are devoid of some of 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 this. Um, we're highly productive and we've got really good systems, but it's 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 in dairy, sheep, and and horticulture. We, we I think we could do a lot more to focus on some of these emergent um, concepts or practices. So that's what Future Funeral is all about: is sort of bring bringing the work that you're doing with the e community and and what so many people are doing. And, uh, and and giving it a voice in New Zealand. What are you most excited about with the event coming up? Uh, Damien O'Connor is coming to speak and he's the Minister of Agriculture here in New Zealand. So it was a real honor that he said yes to, to come down to the farm. And yeah, I'm going to I'm going to take a workshop on the Saturday called Polyculture Paddock. And it's something I've been working on for two years this uh a growing methodology to, to really make just 
becoming self-sufficient a lot a, a lot easier so it's something i've been working on mostly just on myself and 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 on the farm sorry and yeah this is a way of uh, i guess bringing it to the world so i'm excited for that and then yeah during during the solution sessions which are on there there's just uh we've got some of the you know the damien o'connors and andrew morrisons who's the ceo of beef and lamb in new zealand talking about big level industry but during these solution sessions we've got sort of just grassroots innovators and and yeah i'm, I'm really looking forward to hearing what guys like michael sly can say about waste to wilderness or yeah those those are things i'm pretty excited about how long did um did you spend on the planning and marketing of this event how long we've we've put the whole thing together in about the last four months we started working on it big time in in december and yeah the marketing yeah we've had quite a lot to do because we're yeah also trying to source funding so it's not not all uh, up to ticket sales to allow it to happen and and then yeah just created something from scratch you know if no one if no one's heard of future fenua you've got to sort of first introduce it then sell them on it and then get them to the to 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 commit to coming and attend so so each of those um takes time but yeah the from from start till happening next weekend so all been about four months and then um the uh just uh because we've had so many webinars recently sierra's been really great in helping set these up but with people that are in um in what i'll call broadly the um reduce our use of plastic realm and one of the things we've talked about and the canadians have done a so much better job than we have here in the states and i'm curious about what's going on in new zealand and as you meet with the minister of agriculture who's going to be there for your event you know you you might be able to even chat with him about this but that is carbon related either fines if you're doing things badly or um and i won't use the word credits there's something that truly is a, a real financial circumstance if you're doing things and showing so if you take a piece of ground that was an overgrazed cheap circumstance the, the soil carbons were almost non-existent you know it was just dirt and the there was a high level of, of pesticide, herbicide, all kinds of bad things of land use. And you convert it to something that's not that, that, that is ecologically balanced. And now your soil carbon levels have gone up to, you know, three or four or five percent even or higher. Um, is there anything like a carbon financial incentive in New Zealand? Uh, we've, we've got the carbon credit scheme with with you know forestry and stuff, but but they've left soil carbon out of the equation at this point. Um, for one, I think it's I, I don't know if the measurements uh, if 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 they if they can trust that or if the science is quite up with it yet. And for two, I think it's a bit of a fear because we have. Um, comparably quite high soil carbon contents in, in New Zealand already. 
Um, but yeah, the the the, the genuine and in, in terms of my my view on that, I'll I'll stay out of anything uh, too political or systematic. I, I I'm quite happy just working on uh, yeah farming practice. We also have a, a bunch farming in New Zealand. Uh, there's just been a big freshwater policy come out, and that's got quite yeah, that's that's been a focus probably more than the soil carbon is this freshwater thing, and it's a very contentious subject because of course it's coming from the right place. Uh, it's a really good thing if we can all unify and and start working together to you know make our rivers swimmable and drinkable again. But uh, it just comes with it's been a bit of a, bit of a blanket approach. All farmers, no matter where, have to have crops after after winter crops. They have to be re-sown by I think it was the first of September or something. And down here in Southland, you can barely get a tractor in at that time. So, so yeah, I, I guess I'm just saying, coming from the top down, like a government regulation, there's 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 already a bunch coming at, at us farmers to, to worry about. So yeah, so so people are already a bit uh, wary of of um, government led. Uh, initiative sense of that but but yeah i believe i believe in it what you're saying if you can if you can work on a degraded <laughs> soil and bring it back to life you should be rewarded for that right you should is um how did you uh do you have long-term relationships with the minister of agriculture that's coming in or was that sort of a stroke of luck that you're able to get him to come yeah yeah stroke of luck I've, okay. I've I've said for some time that I, I allow myself to be guided by synchronicity, and that was a classic example. I I basically just decided to go for it with Future Fenua Summit, and I met Damien and Wanaka, and we had a bit of a yarn, and I asked him if I sent him an email, would he would he uh, read it, and and he said yes. So yeah, I told him about what we're up to on the farm and what the vision was for the summit, and and he agreed to it. So. You know, it's just been back and forth and by email other than that one meeting. Cool. So you started to talk about it, and then you'd be thinking of the next set of questions, Sierra, but was your polyculture culture paddock? And I think uh, if it's Areeb that's doing the screen or Mark, if you guys could come to where uh, where, where Zeb's got that, um, because it's very cool. So just, ba and it's very simple, by the way, everybody. There we go. Describe to everybody just how they could do that in their own quarter acre space. Shoot, smaller than that, right, Zeb? I mean, I'm I I'm going to be doing it at my place. I'm going to follow your directions specifically. I've got one little area that I want to do it in, and you know, we're just barely getting out of winter. We've had a very tough winter. Had three feet of snow about a week and a half ago, and it it's pretty much melted now, but. Tell it, let's talk about polyculture paddocks just a little bit. All right, all right. So, uh, so yeah, there we go on the on the screen. That's that's sort of what it looks like at harvest time. And yeah, it was. So I've been looking into permaculture and and trying to just like use those in my in my backyard gardening. And then as we were as we were progressing our system to a more um, you know regenerative agriculture model, and we're planting multi species crops. And we can do that all with our drill. And and I was just thinking how how infrequently I can actually harvest the amount of work that I put into my back you know my backyard garden, and how much I actually take out of it. 
and then and then just seeing we can we can plant a you know five hectare block of these multi-species with with the um, sheep species you know swedes and faber bean and phacelia so i just thought oh if if i just order a whole bunch of vegetable species and 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 you know seeds for human consumption whether it's whether it's flowers or, or vegetables or herbs and mix them all together and sow them just with our you know big agricultural equipment that the seed drill and 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 what would happen so i did it uh, actually in the name of creating a a garden for burning horse so so we could uh, have a paddock to plate during, during that event and it was a huge success we just I, I probably had a salad of 12 different types of lettuce or masculine greens and there were yeah. carrots and beets and it just and they were all growing together so it was uh it's it's really enjoyable going out to harvest in that because you're, you're you're searching through what 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 one's looking lush what's there you can sort of pry into the ground and yeah i just it was just such a joy being out in there harvesting and then when the lockdown hit we had four of us guys living at my house and we went to the supermarket once the entire time it was we we, we had lockdowns for six weeks here um being in, in a strict lockdown so so we yeah, had one supermarket we were just out there harvesting and it just kept on yeah kept on producing it and in the beginning would have you know the masculine greens came out first and then they would go to seed and then up would come the the bok choys or whatever was next the spinach and then that would go to seed and then through came the kale and then all the root crops were ready and in the meantime there's flowers and all sorts springing up so so it was one single harvest uh one single sowing date sorry um in november <clears throat> which was the start of spring for us and we had the successional harvest so instead of instead of I did as well as the the polyculture mixes, I did a couple that one was all basil, one was all um, spinach, and the basil never grew. So that strip only grew fat hand. It went to seed and created a big weed pressure. The spinach, I had a load of spinach. Yeah, for for about ten days, I had more spinach than I knew what to. But I didn't actually need that for for what I needed from a practical standpoint. Like I wasn't trying to sell canned spinach or something I really just wanted something I could harvest continually so so though I had a lot of it and it would have been easy to harvest that all it wasn't what I needed what I needed was uh, what was what was appearing in the polyculture so so I, I sort of planted it for this um ecological principles of of diversity and quorum yeah. sensing I'm sure uh you you've talked about that on your on, on your webinars before but what I found the real benefits were these practical benefits, this this successional harvest when I hadn't had to do a single sowing date. So um, yeah, that's that's sort of what polyculture paddock was all about. And the method, if you clicked onto that on the website, it's it's really simple. It's just design, look at the land that you've got, look at the area you've got. Uh, um, seed selection, I think, is the is the next one. And yeah. uh, your design and plan. Yeah, seed selection's the next one. What do you want to be eating? What will grow in your climate? And uh, yeah, you could get onto this website and look through it. It, it. it really is simple. Anyone could do this. Implementation for us, it's easy. We've got a seed drill. We've got a plow. We've got a tractor. But if you've got land and 
that was able to be sown in grass whenever it was, or you know, however that happened, then you can get a contractor to come and do this, I'm very sure. And yeah, observation, just after you've got it in, checking it out, what's what's growing, is is, is the weeds coming quick if, if it's getting overrun with whatever your local weed is. Uh, for, for us, it's fat hand. I spent about two hours and I weeded the entire thing from, from, from fat hand. And, uh, I, I think that made it compared to my first year to this year. It's it's really made that a bit cleaner in there. Harvest that simple. I I say in there. I'll just read it out. <clears throat> For most of human history, we have foraged and gathered food from nature. Learning to decipher edible from undesirable plants was a fundamental in the development of our brains, eyes, and basic motor functional abilities. This action has ingrained and this action is ingrained in our DNA, but in, omitted entirely from our modern lifestyle. It could then be stated that harvesting in a polycoctetic may satisfy a deep-rooted primal desire. So be sure to enjoy this practice and be grateful for the By the way, Zab, you've up you've upgraded this website fairly recently since I was at it. By the way, Sierra, I wanted you to see this specifically going to use because you asked me about what you could do. This is what you should be doing because yeah, it'll satisfy great. it'll satisfy all your scientist needs and emotions. And you'll end up having you'll find out what it is you can grow in the area that you're wanting to use. And so, Zeb, you've, this is very cool how you've, you've kind of upgraded this since I last looked at it. Um, and let's back to the harvest, maybe scroll back upwards a little bit, Areeb or Mark, um, and what Zeb just talked about. And if you guys in the audience, and, and those are going to be people live and watching this as a replay, you should go back and listen to one of Kate Armstrong's webinars, of which we've had three or four. She's an urban forager, um, Zeb, and she does the amazing way of teaching about how you can determine something that you just pick out of the ground to eat, whether it's dangerous or not, whether it's harmful. And it starts with just a smell. And if it, if it has any kind of a smell that's off, get rid of it because your nose is going to know. If, if then it's it's not just the smells all right, but you just sort of put it up to your lips, just sort of let your lips, let, the, let a little moisture get on it, let your tongue go a little. Again, anything that's off, it's probably not something good. Then if it passes that, you chew it just a little bit, get, get some saliva on it, let your taste buds come into play now. And again, it, Immediately, if you get the bad kind of a taste, get rid of it. If not, you're still taking it to the last step. And by the way, this never involves swallowing at all. Literally, the next step is let it chew it up really now. And again, if you get any kind of a weird taste, stop. Now, in my case, I now use it commonly and I actually then swallow and then I'll try to identify what it is that it was there that I eat, that I've eaten. But when you do this seed this seed processing the way that Zeb talks about here, and then you can't predict until you've had it in for a couple of years probably what it is that's gonna do really well. And there will be some weeds that come in that you probably shouldn't eat, but then there's gonna be the vast majority of what you have there that you can. 
and it is just amazing. And it's it's very much like Mark Shepard talks about as being stunned, strikingly terrific, utter neglect, because once you've planted it, and if you're in a place like you are, Sierra, where you're you're in the gr the grain belt of the U.S., you've got perfect climate conditions. You don't need to probably irrigate or water it any during the, your summer, during your growth time, spring and into the summer. It's going to have everything fine for you. You know, I live in a desert. I live with 11, 12 inches of rainfall, so I've got to water. But beyond that, I'm going to let this, and I'm going to be doing it. I'm, I'm going to follow Zeb's process here this spring. I'm going to do it on about a quarter of an acre. But uh, again, it doesn't have to be done with a with a drill and a and a tractor. You can get a get a get a, a a rototiller, as we call it, just out there. Get that soil just torn up a little one time. Once you do it once, you're not going to go vertical anymore. That's one of the principles of of really good soil science. Anyway, I just love the idea, Zev. And how much? Tell us a, what 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 species has done really well in your polyculture um, paddock that you didn't expect? What surprised you? Mm. Yeah, okay, well, the, the, the kale is a, a standout performer. We just have this lush, it, it, uh, I've got about four or five different varieties of kale in there and they all go well. Uh, but probably, probably some of the things like coriander, uh, I've heard it's actually tough to grow and, and it just grows, you know, I put too much coriander in first year and in and, and those couple of strips, they were just white and then uh, all set seed. So so the second year, my, my first one I did, I just have left, I call it the museum and just leading and seeing what happens over time with that. And the coriander came back with a, with a force because it all set seed so much. But yeah, that was, a, that was an interesting one. And How about rooted? Yeah, so what, what were some of the rooted plants that ended up doing well? Uh, the carrots, the carrots did pretty well, and and the beets. I was, I was, I, I was wondering about this competition, uh, not giving them space uh, under the ground. But no, actually, would I dig a spade full up, and there would be a parsnip, a carrot, a beet, all all growing right beside each other. Sierra, isn't that cool? That's what you should do. So. And yeah, with with the rooted vegetables, because I did a. Uh, direct drilled um, as as well as a, a cultivated area and it definitely worked uh, better with the cultivated with the root crops of course. Yeah. I have one more question I want to make sure I get in and then Sierra I'm going to turn it over to you to let you ask the last 15 minutes or more or a little more here and audience you guys please get in some questions if you have them too. I've been looking back and forth just to see if we've had any and, and we do actually have some here. Um, but um, my last one is, I don't remember whether we talked about this. The reason I'm here in Texas right now is one of my hobbies is dog training, but dogs have always been a big part of my food life also, because for most of my adult life, harvested wild game has been a big part of our diet. So it's either been deer or elk, wild boar a couple times. Um, I harvest ducks and geese and pheasants and others and for very regular. I would bet that 60% of what my wife and I eat in our meat diet is something we've harvested. Well, we use dogs 
to help us with that. Now, I've taken it to a different status and I like to compete with them, but I didn't ask you before, what do you have for either guard dogs and or herding dogs with your sheep operation? Uh, we're going through this, there we go, <laughs> timely. So that's that's Brutus is the hunt away standing up. Uh, Standard in New Zealand, most most shepherds will have a hunterway and an eye dog. Uh, as, as anyone, a shepherd on a big station will have three of each. You know, uh, so so Jedi with the white, he's an eye dog. It's uh he won't, he'll only shift sheep with his movement. He'll run out. He's a bit smarter perhaps than than Brutus, who's a bit of a meat missile. Um, but so Brutus will shift with his with his voice, with his noise by barking, and Jed will just just use movement. Uh, yeah. And yeah, the New Zealand hunterway, the the hunterway, Brutus has a bit of beauty in him as well. But yeah, it's it's specifically bred uh, for for New Zealand farming systems, really. Uh, yeah, they're big. And big how much training barking. do they? How much training versus what is instinctual? uh it's pretty they're pretty instinctual yeah a, a, a good dogs a good dogs there's a difference but in what in the natural ability I, I didn't do a lot of like direct training uh but you're training them every day when you're shifting sheep or, yeah. or you know if they're not listening you're, you're, you're always you're continually training them cool have you ever calculated how many miles a year um you've actually yourself or now you're you're you've got you're the second you said that 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 you spend moving the animals <laughs> no i've never i've never uh, calculated that no i bet it's a lot more than you would even think about so sierra before these, you go these, these are... photos just on the on the screen here the one before oh, yeah. and this one so that's that's in the the winter crop so this is for the sheep sunflowers and you can sort of see that vetch climbing it climbing up it and yes and it's yeah. like showing that like it's 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 climbing up i thought that was a really beautiful photo and the yeah. one previous to it shows a bit of a wider view so there's chicory plantain uh there's swedes and and turnips in this mix as well and you can see the sunflowers up so so that's what the sheep will be eating in winter wow and yeah that used to we used to always just do one plant um, Craig asked, can you provide a sneak preview of polyculture paddock? He did. I think that question was, was quite a little bit ago, and I think you did that. Um, where is the newsletter or something to keep in touch with, with you, with you? I mean, that, let's, we might as well do that right now. What's the best way that people would be able to communicate with you, Zeb, if they had questions and, and so on? Uh yeah that's that's probably something i've got to work on i don't know because because we're all over the shop the the montana flat being the farm and being the ecological yeah. business hub now uh business park might might be something that we build into this website uh whereas future fenua it would, would be another but yeah probably on this montana flat site there is a contact on there and yeah i'll, I'll, I'll try and there keep that so it's not just about the cadetship but more about what we're doing in general What's going on with that tree back there, by the way? Um, go back a couple uh, of slides. Oh, uh, yeah. so, so we've got this pine plantation. You know, pine's not great wood. 
so they say it, it'll rot in two years if you left it out untreated. And you, in Scandinavia, they've got these like 700-year-old wooden churches and, and cathedrals, and, and that's just pine, you know, untreated as well. So what they were doing is in spring, when the, when the pine is full of sap, they would ring bark it, which is down the bottom, and then we just, all those other patches is just more ring barking. So it brings the sap out. And so we did that in spring, and in winter we'll harvest that, and just seeing if, because the sap will come out of it, drawn to the outsides, uh, we're, we're hoping that it will uh, increase the longevity of the pine. That is very cool. Um, and is it true that if you did that on a tree you weren't going to harvest, completely removing that bark with that that circular rim would actually probably doom the tree? Is that right? It would. It would be. They say that a tree really can't live for an extended period after it's had its entirety taken off, and that's why you're doing it the year before you harvest it. I'm assuming. Yeah, yeah. So, so that tree is uh, is dying now for sure. See one in the right. background as well. We did about six of them, yeah. and and yeah, yeah we've I got them numbered. Some of them we did in in summer as well. Uh, just you know, seeing if that springtime or the saps in it, what effect that has compared to doing it at a different time of year and um, yeah just just going to try and make a few observations around that but it's about that resourcefulness uh, the, we've got some things in abundance and and <clears throat> pine is one of them and if we can all of a sudden there's a there's a workshop by the way go back Mark, one slide back Harib or, or Mark that little building so one of the things we I calculated the other day We've given away close to 10,000 of these. I don't remember, but 10 years ago, maybe a little longer, somebody that worked for me came up with the idea of building what we call pallet buildings. Because we have so many pallets around our area where people put things on them to move them around and in, in industrial settings. And they give them away. It's very easy to get them for free. And they're typically four foot by four foot, although they make bigger ones. And they're intended to where you can get the, the, the forks on a piece of heavy equipment under them and lift things up. So we designed um, a shed, a little building that is eight feet by eight feet or even 10, if we have larger pallets, by eight feet in the front and then six feet in the back that we can build for in four hours for less than a hundred dollars in cost most of that cost is in the roof and and mm -hmm. whether we use um, metal planking on the roof or whether we use just a waterproof type of a osb board but then then the other cost is just in small little pieces and then mainly also in something to keep it um, anchored, which could be T-posts we use, but it could be other, could be concrete and so on. If that's at all of interest, you might really enjoy what you could do with pat with, with pallets and, and the variety of things you could build. So I'll, uh, yeah, right. I'll send you a set of those plans. So yeah, yeah, canes and cane. That that there's the uh, confessional, and you can see that that black. That's another way of just preserving the pine. So it's called shishugi ban. It's a Japanese wood burning wow. technique and 
Okay. And yeah, we've just got a LPG bottle with a with a flame flame weeder, sort of like a flame comes off, and we'll burn that, scrub off the chalk, and once again we could leave that outside um, for a long, long time. The 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 charring of it, you, you, sort of that what happens with biochar, you know, when it turns, it, yeah. it, it really dices up the amount of binding site. So so that's what's happened then. Yeah, shishugi bind. Shishugi, cool. And Sierra. actually, deep. Oh yeah, don't worry. Oh, go ahead. No, no, go keep going. This is cool. Is that is that a uh, shelter of some kind? Ah, uh, that's the sweat lodge. Uh, yeah, okay. built yeah, it. For the festival. Uh, all right. Um, but that there. So so, uh, could we go back one? There's a wee food forest down on the on the festival site planted this year. Yeah, so this is a solar dehydrator, and the and the slide before where there is a big black panel, that's the collector. So it's uh, it's it's about eighty percent complete, but inside uh, I've got a I've got a dehydrator, a small electronic one um, that I've been, you know, because we have a lot of kale, it's already at once, and then it, it does go to seed, you know, it doesn't just sit there forever, but so since we're since we're boom and bust, and because I live out in Riversdale and I don't have a nearby market, and I'm not actually too interested in marking fresh produce, too, the timeline's too short, too much. You know, I'd have to be going to supermarkets or whatever. Like there's there are those avenues, and but but sort of wasn't for us. But we thought if we could dehydrate and make powdered, you know, powdered products. So that's what that is. It's as far as we could be aware, it's one of the biggest solar dehydrators in the world, and it's uh, yeah, <clears throat> looking looking forward to when we get that that in action next next summer. We'll be doing powdered powdered polyculture greens powders. I'm gonna I'm gonna send you I'm gonna send you a, some plans that we have, and we've done this for a four by four by eight dehydrator that is used to dehydrate fish to get them to where again you 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 have fish jerky that you can eat then all through the winter um, all right. and and, uh, and and so we and, and we we put a, a smoking unit in it so it's not just dehydrated you can actually flavor it too by getting both yeah, the combination of, of, of smoke of smoked you know in the air for, so, for us, Sarah. for us, it would be lamb jerky. Yeah, I really want yes. to see those plants. Yes. Yeah. Sierra. Yeah. So Beth, with all of your projects and kind of all of these moving parts that you have going on at your property, how do you stay organized and how do you stay from getting overwhelmed when you have all this work to do and how do you know what to do and when to do it? Uh, yeah, I guess. I do a lot of personal work at the start of the journey. Um, uh, yeah, I listen to a lot of podcasts, I guess, uh, Impact Theory or, or TED Talks, and and you do learn a lot. I listen to some audio books, both both on the like productivity side of the scale and also sort of like just spiritual well-being, and I and I find that helps me a lot um, to 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 keep in order because there's so many moving parts we can't do you know i'd love to be i'd love to be talking to people now about polyculture paddocks so so you know i sort of want to get like regional councils on board to start turning some of this wasted grass area that gets mown and no one's really 
you know, using that mown grass areas. So, uh, yeah, you know, but but um, focusing on somewhere else. So I guess just acceptance that can't do it all uh, is is a way of dealing with the overwhelm. And yeah, I'm I'm working from my passion. I think I connected quite early with my life purpose, and it's this sort of innovation and um, agriculture and and when you're working from that place, it's it's doing this work. I I feel charges me up more more than it depletes. So that helps as well. It's very inspiring. When you wake up in the morning, do you typically have a plan for your day, or do you just go with the flow and kind of let the property tell you what your plan is going to be? Yeah, uh, with the sheep farm, it's it's quite structured. Yeah, we, we like daggings on on Tuesday or or weighings on Wednesday. It's Though there's set dates that are structured out, and then yeah, it's always always a mix. But no, it's I, I like to go with the flow, and then yeah, have have planned things when they need to be planned. Very. Cool. How many of you in the audience are recognizing plants as you saw them there? I, I at least I think I was. I think so. What do we? What's in front of the van there on the left? The the little building thing that uh, we're just seeing at a distance. Oh, it's kind of cool. Yeah, it's the beefy beefy green shack. Yeah, it was one of my mates. Uh, who's sort of yeah, it's a, it's another story. But yeah, we serve food from there during the festival. And guys, we have some videos also. We made like ten ten different videos, small videos. So I would like to play that to whenever you are ready. Let's do it because we're going to run out of time. Zab, by the way, we are very sensitive to your time. Uh, personally, I'm loving this. I could go for as long as we wanted more. I actually have do have another webinar that I that I do myself a little bit later tonight. But but tell us kind of a time frame. Arib, how long will the little videos be? I think five minutes, five more minutes, five to eight minutes. Okay, you okay with that, Zab? Keep that sweet with me. I can I can talk you through them while they're while they're rolling. I just yeah, and you guys can talk while they're yeah while they're playing because the A doesn't have that much of an audio, so you guys can talk over it if you want. So, so well, I'll let, no, Zab will talk over him, Marie. So we'll Sarah okay. and I'll just watch. Okay. Zeb, you will need to unmute yourself for if you want to talk. So whenever you want to talk, you can unmute yourself, okay? Oh, okay. Yeah, polyculture paddock, not just for food production. This area was lawn, and that's the lane that heads down to the yards uh, from the main road. So I picked for these a bunch of uh, just flowering species, and can you see how many different plants are growing there? It's, it's yeah, it was quite remarkable. So, so yeah, uh, of course we can. Every video, you'll probably have to unmute, so. All right, there we go. 
you know, this is just showing some of some of the flowers going. And again, this took me an hour to plant this garden, and it goes for 40, 50 meters, and it's got all that plant, and it, it, and it took me just like that. Yeah, yeah, really, wow. really cool. That is very cool. Yeah, and remember, everybody, one of the things we ask: what's different from what his grandfather had is pop, and it was trees. Look at all those trees that, that, as he said, weren't there before. And unmute if you want to talk here, Jim. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I've been using wool as, as suppressants anyway. And to the left there, that was, uh, if you know about Ruth, the roof doubt method. I just put some old hay down and put potatoes underneath. So that purple passion there. Yeah, I've got I've got about eight varieties of potatoes, and uh, yeah, it was it was just a way of how do I? I've got a huge lawn. It took me about used to take me two hours to mow it. Now it takes me about an hour because I've left some just to go fallow, and I'm not mowing it. And some of that I just yeah was using the roof stout method to convert that grass to garden, and then over yeah obviously doing the polyculture paddock, but yeah, just just uh, experimenting on different ways of how do we go from lawn or grass to garden. And yeah, this Ruth Stout one, uh, I, I was really impressed with how that worked as well. Okay, next video coming in now. Yeah, that's just that's just walking through. I sort of laid laid the um, hay all down in a square and then raked it to a side with those couple of so it's it's just one mower width wide. And yeah, these this is just a new garden. Well, I've probably just wait until next spring to plant that. Yeah, Cook's garden. And yeah, that's going to be each of those squares are old railway. They replaced the rail uh, the power line. Sorry, power line droppers. So. Uh, I got I got the guys from PowerNet to drop those off, and they ma made some borders for what will be a nursery and a couple of uh, veg veg plots. Next video coming now. Parents <laughs> hitting back. Yeah. Yeah, so so that one there, the outside one was all about the um, beneficials and flowering, and then the next one in was I did a lot of mint, oregano, and you could see not much happened there. It basically returns to grass. So uh, I think maybe it was it was mostly really small seed, and maybe it was getting sown too deep. But yeah, you could see on on one side really successful with these flowers, and on the the next one back there, yeah, didn't didn't work so well with the herbs. So. And again, that's just a, a trial and a failure. Next video coming now. So yeah, that's vetch, vetch. The leafy, leafy ones, chicory, and then down below, you can actually see that's actually the, the bulk of the feeders is in those sweet, those, those, and there's a couple of turnips. So on the high, you, you see a lot of leaf matter with the vetch and the chicory, but down below those bulbs is where, and that's how we sort of, it might be 10, 10 kg per hectare of, of dry matter, which is uh, 
reasonable. We can get it. We could probably get a twenty ton, twenty ton, not kg. Sorry. Um, we could way, get a twenty ton crop. Everybody's got to realize, and I hope your minister of agriculture gets this when he comes to the event, guys. That you won't see traditional ag land. And play that video again, Arivia, but not quite yet. Get it queued up and we're going to play it once more. And look at those root crops. Look at what he's got under you. And you, most people would never even know that was there if they're looking at it at the surface. And that is so phenomenal. And it is such, you know, again, where this whole ecological business park, polyculture, wow. Just, just play that one once more because that's, that's worth looking at. Zeb, um, next year, this particular area we're looking at, what will you do to prep the land to do what you're gonna have on it next year? Again, and I bet you're gonna, well, I think I know the answer, it's gonna be way less than what traditional farmers would do after they came in and just mass harvested this. So Yeah, ahead. very true. So so yeah, this will, this will get grazed out over June and July. Um, that we'll, 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 we'll split that whole paddock into blocks and they'll have sort of two days on a block and then get shifted on. And yeah, then what, what, we, what we saw last year with this is that we had a lot of regrowth by doing it that way, as opposed to often, often we're just left with bare mud after the um, stock of eating it in, in uh, winter. And, and yeah, that's that's one of the contentious issues with the freshwater policy is this beer mud and stock stock being up to their guts and um, but yeah, so doing it this in the in the two day blocks and shifting them on, I'll graze that out. We'll probably get a bit of regrowth, cane that again, and in spring we'll sort of terminate it and then just direct drill our permanent pasture back in. All right, go ahead to the next one, Ray. Next one coming in now. Yeah, instead of just white clover ryegrass, we've got chicory and red clover, and then yeah, we planted about ten different species with our pasture as well, so including diversity in the, in the permanent mix as well. And I just just showed you how high that is. That's that's a pretty large pasture. Um, our fattening lambs in there. Zeb, I have a quick question for you. Um, you know, Areeb and Mark and I were talking yesterday, and we were hoping that we could do just like you and I did last time when he was in his tractor and was able to get out and show me because we were using a Zoom meeting. Um, GoToWebinar doesn't give us that same capability. So I think Areeb had to communicate with you yesterday, probably midday, you know, early your time, but that you needed to get, if possible, get the way we could sort of modify not make it as easy, but that you would get some some of these videos made. So I'm only saying this because these are really 
were taken very recently, correct? Uh, this, this is not something that he's been just storing over the last five years or whatever. Yeah, yeah, all, all, all of these videos were just yesterday afternoon as a bit of a farm for them myself and, and put these. Right, just so everybody understands that. This is just, this would be close to being, if we could be on Zoom instead of go to webinar and live, he could be showing this to us just right now today. All right, Reed, yeah. go to the next one. Next one coming in now. Pine plantation. So yeah, it's it was planted 30 years ago, and you can see how spaced out it is. It's been agroforestry block, like it's been grazed for the, the whole time because it's pretty bare underneath it as you as you go in there now, but. Yeah, it was pretty successful as a as a agroforestry uh, block. I'd like to plant something so you can see my father planted that 30 years ago. I'd, I'd like to plant a similar thing, but using uh in pine as as a bit of a goal for the next couple of years. How, uh, wait, Arib, hold on just a second. How okay. uh what what's your uh What's your par five? What's the distance, either in meters, I guess, for uh, for your your par five holes on your uh, disc golf course? Okay, so the the the, the plantation course, this one, uh, uh, they're all par threes. Uh, okay. Eighteen hole course, and yeah, it's a lot more technical, swerving in and out of trees. There's ones that sort of force you to play forehands and 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 forced sort of hyzer shots. And down at the river, there's a, a 27 hole course actually, and it has a couple par fives, and that's 220 meters is the lo longest one. Wow, wow, that's some good distance. Yeah, yeah. I, I, the yeah, longest yeah, but, uh, I think I've done a couple that would be that long on courses here in the states, but I would say most of the par fives are probably. 180 meters or so. I actually think I watched the national championships of disc golf here in the States on a video uh, on YouTube. And I think they were in the 200 range. So you got some long par fives there. That, by the way, for yeah. everybody, that a par five means the that's how far, you know, you should be able to take five throws in, in disc golf and get it into, now I don't know whether he's got a formal course where he's actually got real um, basically chained little devices where you throw the, the disc into. A lot of us that do it in a, a little more foresty way use trees, mark trees, and that would be what the hole is and you have to hit the tree. But a par five means that should be, if you're a decent disc golfer, you should get there in five or less. If you're not any good, it might take you eight or nine <laughs> to get there. <laughs> so um, anyway, um, keep going, Reed. Go to the next one. I had a question. Just golf. Yep. Go ahead. Uh, okay. What if you throw your disc and it hits a tree? Is there a penalty for that? No, no, you hit a lot of trees when you play this plantation course. You play it from where it lands, Mark. <laughs> yeah, you just play it from where it lands, it slows you down. Yeah. You, you don't want to hit trees if possible. There should be an open lane, which is what you would want to throw it through, Mark. So. 
and, and yeah, we don't we don't have baskets uh, on on the farm courses. It's it's uh, we've got strips of uh, flattened out corrugated iron around around the trees in this plantation, and um, sort of just barrels on posts down at the river course. Send me pictures yeah. of those because you've homemade those, obviously, and I, I I'd like to see some designs because I I now that you're saying it, I can think of how to use use uh, fifty five five gallon drums and make something but send me pictures of those sometime yeah we have a ton of them oh there's some pictures here uh, that we could that we'll have or not no i don't i don't think so i don't yeah. think yeah 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 sierra has a bunch of them where she where she's at too sierra you could you know you talked about we could make a discourse at vandalia very easily yeah we could uh, it would be very cool all right. Well, keep going, Reeve. Next one now. Coming now. So this is in the polyculture paddock. This year's one. Uh, oh yeah, no. So this is this is. They're two years old, so that's what's happened just by leaving. You can see I've got some black currants I've planted in there because it's permanent. Uh, but yes, yeah, so I planted this in November 2019, and you can see how much food's in there. All those tapenera kales, those big small things of pasta, actually, a high pasta. And I planted one about two weeks ago, so those are some brassicas coming up. But we haven't had rain. Six weeks or uh, decent rain, anyway. So it's a bit dry in there. I want it to be that ought to be sprouted by the summer. But, uh, yeah. So, so all at the start of that video was all just re. You know, I, I sowed that once, eighteen months ago now, and and I could go out there and we could probably see a dozen people. In next one coming, only two left, so next one is number 12. But again, anytime we're weighing or sharing or anything, they, they come in here, we just, this is just the sheep yards, a whole bunch of wool, it's uh, unfortunately not for a great deal at the moment. There's some sheep out getting ready, they're getting big moment today. And inside of a standard Kiwi wool shed, wool press, sharing board. So yeah, for sharing they'll come in here and just come closer and closer and, and that's a four stand. Before you play the next one, when do you shear? Uh, throughout the year, uh, our main share is December, so first month of summer, and uh, it's just, we we share just after we separate the lambs from their mothers. Once basically we that's called weaning. After weaning, uh, we share the the week after that, and then but the the younger sheep, the, the hoggets, the replacement sheep, they get shorn um, six monthly to, you know, to get started and. So yeah, there's, there's about 
three or four, and, and then the, the lambs get shorn at the end of uh, summer. But main main shearing is start of summer. So and, and everybody, with, I'm, I'm not sure if, if he mentioned it, but these these sheep are are meat sheep, so that wool is not the primary product. But there's again the ecological business park mentality. He's making some revenue at least, right, from the wool also. Do you mm. right? Yeah, well, there, there, there are dual, there are dual, dual purpose breed of sheep, uh, mostly here in New Zealand. So, like, so you know, a merino is mostly for fine wool. Uh, something like a yeah, strong Texas, you know, Texas is wool as well. But yeah, it's a, it's a it's all purpose, so they do produce wool as well. Unfortunately, yeah, we're not getting paid much for it at all uh, the last last few years. Um, but hopefully, it's something back. There's people doing really innovative stuff with, with wool here. So, uh, yeah, hopefully, it's going to make a resurgence in the next few years. Approximately, what is the cost per animal to shear in terms of your labor time? Do you, have you ever calculated that? Uh, we we get a gang in to do it. The, the shearing gang comes and does it. So so it's roughly four or five dollars a sheep. Okay. You know what we pay for alpacas? The most breeders here, most people in the U.S. pay as much as thirty dollars. We pay about fifteen, and that's because we've been using the same shearer, who by the way is a New Zealander, and. Um, he is now back here in the States because he'll start his shearing down in the south about now and then can shear, he'll shear through probably early early August and then he goes back to New Zealand. Um, but our costs are way higher, which is does not make it easy to be profitable for our for our uh, for our for our wool. For our fleece, as we call it, with alpacas. Yeah, All right, one more, right, Gareep? Yeah, the last one. Playing now. Yeah, so this is this is this year's polyculture paddock, and obviously you've got those flowers and the, the cows coming through there, and there's turnips all all amongst down below. I'm not a I'm not a videographer, obviously. So yeah, it's pretty pretty wild in there. All that stalky stuff is all uh, leafy green seed. That's just showing sort of a bunch of carrots and turnips all going together. And remember, everybody, Northern Hemisphere folks, this is the equivalent of the early part of fall for us. This, so, you know, we we are now early spring, very very early, second day of spring. This would be the second day of fall. So the the colors of flowers and such were probably you know at their peak a month and a half ago something so this is moving into the yep. fall yeah 
Well, we've gone over time here, and I don't want to. I want to be very cautious to be aware of Deb's time. Um, Sierra, do you have any other questions? I, I I have tons of them, but we'll we'll save those for another time. And Areva, yeah, I think Mark. That's good for me for the day. I could go on and on, but like you said, don't want to take up too much time. Audience, if you've got any more, throw them in right now. And then Zeb, like I'd like to take just final thoughts from you, if you would. Yeah. Oh well, it's just been awesome to to uh, yeah share some of what what we've been up to. Like I so said, a lot of it's just been working away, uh, doing our own thing. We've got the websites, but that, you know, if people aren't checking that, you don't really don't really see it. So that been been nice to put this word out and. Really nice connecting with you, Wayne. Uh, you know, about Joel being a mentor just for this diversity, but what you're doing is is truly, truly uh, inspirational to me as well. Because, uh, yeah, connecting just like different things on the land as well as what you're doing with education and, uh, yeah, just the the many ventures that I've I've noticed when flicking through your website. It's it's very awesome. So so thank you for all your work. Well, I'm going to encourage you to look at one more that we've not, we've had it for a while, but it is really now kicking off. So the website's real simple, and I'll send you a link, but it's epncommunity.com. So that stands for Environmental Professionals Network. And you are truly an environmental professional. And one of the things we're going to do, we're doing this for all of our speakers, um, we're going to be gifting you a equivalent of a $250 a membership fee, which you won't have to pay, to be a member as this new organization. And go to EPN Community, several places you can click and you'll find more out about it. But our goal is to really do a good job of connecting professionals in the ecological environmental area and actually, hopefully, connecting them to projects. And in your case, you don't need more projects. In my case, I don't need more projects. But interestingly, a lot of people um, have as their valuable asset their time, and it's not very well used in the environmental and ecological space. And so we're hoping that through um, finding clients privately and also using competitive bid circumstances that every country in the world has, and New Zealand might be a little less than what we have in the States or in Canada, but, but, but there's some there. But um, anyway, the goal is to have this become We'd hope in five years people would say EPN is the Uber of um, shared economy or where the abundance of time is that of ecological and environmental professionals. So we're going to make you a, a free member and over time we'll talk with you more about it. But, but again, that's just one thing we do to thank you for doing this. And then we'd like to plant a seed in your mind that maybe you come on for several more of these events and teach about maybe one topic. I can already think of the one, I think you know, just the polyculture, um, polyculture paddock even. I think you could get three or four good hours of talks, which we'd then turn into like 20 minute segments, 10, 15, that's what people like to watch. And then, and by the way, we'd use Zoom so you could do things live um, and not what we're doing on, on GoToWebinar. And uh, anyway, something to think about. You and I will communicate more about it. So. Cool, cool. Yeah, that sounds awesome, Wayne.
and I, I like the idea of talking for an hour and compressing it down to sort of uh, save some of the waffling that we might end up doing about disc golf or whatever else. <laughs> right, right. And I'll tell you, I want to get over there for um, for for burning you know, horse, all the different, I'm going to get over there to see you. And we are going to talk more about the ecological business park concept. I'm going to get some advice from you for what you could do to help me. And you've already asked me for a couple of things because I'd love to see if we could help on your aquaculture side of things with the natural water features and such that you have. And uh, we've mm -hmm. talked a little bit about that already. So, and uh, the summit that's coming up, everybody, um, you know, that's going to be recorded, I think you said. And if you're in New Zealand, and we yep. do have members in New Zealand, you should figure out how you might be able to get there if you can. So, yeah, yeah, well, it's. <laughs> Yeah, short, uh, short time frame to, short to get down frame. for uh, this yeah. weekend, but, but uh, yeah, yeah, no, great, great talking with you. And then, yeah, if you if you keep on on tabs with the future Fenoa, who knows? I don't know how long it takes to edit things like uh, and get it up there, but definitely this winter we'll be we'll have all these talks live. So, so the future well, we, will be. Zab, there's where we might be able to help you. I've got, we do have some editors and Brian and Mark, we could get Brian involved again on a part-time basis and help us. And so Zeb, let's talk about whether we can help you as you get through to the end of the All editing right. side of this. So. Oh, Sarah, that is fantastic. No more on my end other than just a thank you. And you've been awesome. So many cool projects and so inspirational. I think I actually might try that myself this year. So I've been going back and forth. I live in kind of like a suburban area and we only have one acre and it's all grassland other than your standard landscaping out front. Um, and I've really been looking for something that I think is the right fit for me. And I think that might be something that I start with. So just awesome inspiration with that. Thank you. All right. Nice. All right. Well, Mark, why don't you go ahead and read, take us out. Zeb, again, thanks. And this will just be the start of many more conversations to come. All right. Nice. Yeah. Cheers, everybody. Cheers. Hey, everybody. I bet you enjoyed that immensely. That was one of our most amazing presentations here at the EAT community. Please look forward to our next podcast in the very near future, and we look forward to seeing you again on the Eat Community Podcast.